welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star. Mailbag! Oh my gosh, every time you do it, it freaks me out. <laughs> <laughs> it will never stop, never! <laughs> yeah, so folks, we are back with another mailbag. This might be the last one for a couple of weeks as we are uh, technically front-loading a bunch of episodes so that Brenna can do some family business stuff. But yeah. uh, we're going to encourage you to keep writing in and we will come back around to anybody who writes in in the interim. But uh, Brenna, we have a quick little line from a listener named Laura that we thought we might want to tackle this week. Yeah, so Laura right in to follow up on Emil and the detectives and um, talked a little bit about, you know, some of the other adaptations, recommended the 2001 German adaptation, which there's a trailer for it on YouTube that you can check out. And uh, it's much more uh, woman-centered, like mm-hmm. Pony gets to be like much more of a leadership role. So yeah, I think Pony to gets to the Gustav role, right? Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like it. So that's really cool. But yeah, Laura said something that had us both thinking, I think. Um, <laughs> Laura clocked us yeah, gently. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you know, we've talked on this show, Joe, about the power of our listeners calling us in. I would file this under that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So Laura writes in her email, you also talked about the fact that reading a translation was a little off at first. I guess this is the experience of most non-English speaking people in the world. <laughs> yes, Laura, quite. Thank you. You're right. <laughs> The funny thing is that I don't think Laura even meant anything by it. It was just kind of like a casual observation. But I realize now we probably sounded so flippant when it was like, <laughs> oh, it's just really hard to read something derp, from another derp. language. Like, oh, dunderheaded North American comment. It's so true. It's not good for my larger like record, too, because, you know, we've talked before on the show about how I find like subtitles really cognitively challenging. So it's like, hey, it's Brenna the Dumb Dumb her podcast. <laughs> but I mean, I guess one of the things, like one of the reasons I wanted to have just a quick conversation with you about this is it did get me thinking though, Brenna, like one of the things that I think particularly North Americans always make this assumption of is that everyone in the world can default to speaking English if need be, like particularly if you live in a city. And it's a bit of a wild assertion to say, oh, well, okay, that's probably the way that they're consuming media or even the number of texts that probably don't get translated into other languages from English. So like if you are a German reader, your access to books may be thwarted based on what is deemed important enough to get a translation. Well, honestly, Joe, even within Canada, like I have a PhD in Canadian literature, I can count the number of Quebecois books I read, right? Either mm-hmm. in translation or in the original French, because that is my my second language in grad school. Mm-hmm. Like I can count those on. I think saying two hands would be generous. I think it's probably closer to one. And the number of folks who can get through an entire, certainly an undergrad degree with a concentration in Canadian literature, and you maybe mm-hmm. read like one Gabrielle Roy book, like right. It's interesting how – well, interesting is the wrong word. It's it's terrible <laughs> how language is such a barrier still, even in this era of, like, trying to be more inclusive in reading. Like, what's available in your language, even mm-hmm. for English readers, limits the scope of what we have access to so dramatically. Like, even within a bilingual country. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, like I'm remembering when we were doing the call for listener responses to Eric Gansworth's Apple, which was the book club that is coming up, you mm-hmm. know, next week. I remember Miriam wrote in an email that she wouldn't be able to participate in it because there was no translation of mm-hmm. it. And so we're not just talking about like, oh, I can't get an access to that book. It's also like that book isn't available in chosen languages. So like I would have to go and do a deeper dive into it. But I wonder if this kind of snowballs onto some of the conversations we had about like, well, what is publishing most interested in? Mm -hmm. And they're making particular decisions about like who gets a major publishing run and what gets put in paper copies versus e-copies and so on. Like, it worries me that people say, oh, well, I can't get this like famous indigenous autobiography. Mm -hmm. And part of me is like, okay, well, maybe this is just a very Canadian text. So it's like, you know, the international market isn't there for it. But I'm kind of like, hmm, what does that mean we're not getting access to? In a couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, a Sami text, Sami folks being the indigenous peoples of like Northern Europe. Mm -hmm. I had no exposure to that culture prior to this particular text. And so I think that we really need to think about particularly how indigenous and other marginalized voices within cultures get limited like it's i don't think it's a coincidence that the the text that we've done so far this year that hasn't been available in translation is also mm-hmm. the native american indigenous text on our list right like right. i'm guessing that's not actually a coincidence no mm-hmm. and you know i don't know that that means we should suggest there's like nefarious activity at hand <laughs> yeah there is it's called racism <laughs> Well, I I think it's very telling, if nothing else, right? It's kind of like, well, which voices get amplified and Mm -hmm. which often marginalized voices are sort of like sussumed or clamped down on. And yeah, I I just think it's a really fascinating conversation that I think we all – I'm hoping that we're going to be more cognizant of it, particularly this year as we're trying to branch out into more of those international texts that we've made more of a priority to consume. I think it's particularly interesting to think about in a Canadian context because Canadian literature was like this project of nation building from like 67 to probably the late 90s. And I wonder how many books make it into translation out into the world that are like, quote unquote, Canadian literature that are in any way critical of the settler state. Like that would be an interesting study to do. Indeed. And just since you raised it, and I'm always highly cognizant of the fact that most of our listeners are not actually Canadian, what do you mean by like a Canlit project? Okay, so we talk a lot in Canada about Canadian literature as like this cultural structure, because, you know, Canada being like a minor culture, in comparison to something like the UK or the US who share our borders, right? Mm -hmm. It's our inferiority complex. It is, but you have this this sort of there's this kind of theoretical construct of like when you have major cultural players who publish in English, and then mm-hmm. you have minor cultural players who publish in English, right? And right. so, you know, Australian literature is probably primarily read within Australia. New Zealand literature is probably primarily read within New Zealand, and Canadian literature is probably primarily read within Canada, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in in the case of Canada, certainly starting in the late 60s, there was like a government movement to like create more art. And I'm not criticizing these things. This is, you know, why we have things like the Canada Council for the Arts, and we have these funding structures in place for cinema and television and radio and literature. 
Mm -hmm. But part of that is also about like using the art of a country to tell a story about what that country is. Right. And it's often from certain creators and certain points of view. Yeah. And like we've talked on the show about how Indigenous literature didn't find sort of a publishing foothold in Canada until like the early 2000s. And so that's just sort of one example of the ways in which like a national literature tells a very particular story. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, when you layer on the idea of like, well, we're not going to translate something if we don't think it's going to have a sales market abroad. Right. Like, I wonder, I just, I'm so curious about how that limits the perception of like what Canada is when somebody picks up a Margaret Atwood book, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this leads me to end this mailbag episode on a call to listeners, because of course, we're always looking to engage you more and we want you to write in and, <laughs> and talk to us. I would be curious if you folks, particularly if you are living outside of North America, sorry, North Americans, I know we're not picking on you here. <laughs> I would be very curious to know, like, who are the kind of dominant authors that you feel were either like forced upon you in school, like read this person, they're a very important ex writer from our country. Or is there something similar to that, where it's like, you're your government or your arts councils made a very deliberate effort to say, these are people who represent our our nation, our country. What does that list or who are those authors? Who are those filmmakers? What do they look like? Are they reflective of the diversity of where you come from? Oh, I love that. Yeah. it's a, I'm sorry. That's a bit of a big project. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I'll write another dissertation, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking like off the top of your head, you probably know who some of the people are where you're like, oh, this is a very famous, you know, Australian author. Oh, this is a very famous South African author or something like that. So I guess if there's something where you're like, I could make a, a short list, like a top five or something, we'd love to get a sense of like, is this actually reflective or is this like, hmm, this is who we have chosen to fund mm. and publicize? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm interested too. I really want to hear what people think about that. Okay. 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 Well, if you want to write to us, you can find us for short form things on Twitter at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. Joe, where do they find you? I can be reached at B Stone My Remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's great with an A. But for mailbag, we really want you to use our email, and that mm -hmm. is hkhspod at gmail.com. Yeah. And thanks for the message, Laura. Laura also gave us a recommendation that I think we're going to try to circle back to for a future episode because the title sounded very intriguing. 